Welcome to this episode of Mixed Reviews. Tom got a really sick birthday present. What did he get? Yeah, what did I get? A book. You got a special book. Oh, <laughs> my girlfriend. <laughs> Is this the first time you've mentioned girlfriend on the pod? Probably. Yo, Tom is a girl. Yo. Yo. A round of applause for Tom and his girlfriend. I don't want to tell the story anymore. Okay, no, oh, right. Okay, sorry, sorry, I was, sorry. Went on a rant to my girlfriend about Bluey, and then my birthday just passed like a couple weeks ago. And she ended up getting me like a bluey book because of how much I like the show and I was very happy about it. I was glad that went into a conversation with Jordan, who was here, into getting him on bluey. And the next morning, because he crashed on our couch, the next morning he was telling me, yeah, I think I'm going to binge that show. And I was quite happy to find that out. It's a really good show. But on top of that, she also hand drew me like a birthday card. And it's sick. It's it is. really cool. It's a goat. It's a ram. It's a ram. It's, an, it's like the. It's close. It's like the Aries zodiac. You're oh. Aries. Oh. What do you mean? Oh. <laughs> I don't know. Do you know what it means? He likes air. No, she's doing like a a drawing for each of the zodiacs. She's super. What talented. about the killer? She gonna draw that? But um. Apparently, Aries loves to be number one. Mm. Mm. Makes sense. Have you guys ever had like? warm couple day old flat soda god you guys are horribly boring today we don't even know what movie we're doing this week. the worst is when it's a can drink yeah and you get a sip of it it just tastes like metal welcome to mixed reviews <laughs> <laughs> if you've read the title of this episode we're talking about baby driver bum, 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 bum. i like the sound effects so baby driver by Edgar Wright, who is, fun fact, Jackson's man crush. Yeah, I do like him. Who do you prefer, the Daniels or mm. or Edgar Wright? See, it's tricky because they have less under their belt when it comes to features. But they got two under their belt. <laughs> At least my lines today have been funny. Is that what you call them? <laughs> <laughs> so... What's the verdict? 7 out of 10. That's the episode. Yeah. Oh, my God. Let's go watch it one last time, and then we'll come back, and then we'll talk about it. Sounds like a great idea. So we just watched the movie, and let me just say, you probably wouldn't enjoy it if you were deaf. <laughs> That's actually a really good point. I think that's my one of my favorite parts of the movies is the fact that, you know, it's so heavily involved with music. That's not the right word. It's built around music. Built around music and good music, too. Yeah, this was a big fuck you to deaf people. Indeed. And which is funny because his foster dad is deaf and the actual actor who plays his foster dad is deaf IRL. So I was thinking about it. I was like, dang, like that must suck for him because he had to go to that <laughs> premiere and sit there and be like, damn, what is happening right now? Like the first 10 minutes, how many words are said? None. Yeah, dude was probably just like... Oh, this is a really boring, quiet opening. I mean, he could feel the vibrations, yeah, but then he misses out on all the, like, little hidden stuff, I guess. That's a valid point. Has anyone watched Cash Cab? Yeah. Did anyone else think, like, the opening title thing that said Baby Driver looked like the same-ish <laughs> font as Cash Cab? Because that's, that's the point. first thing I thought of when I saw, like, the little... 
You know, I feel like I should compare this. I wish you had a photo option on your podcast. Well, put it on the video on YouTube. Mm, see, I'm wrong, but it's, it is kind of similar, right? Cash cab, baby driver. It is kind of similar. I see it. I wonder if it's because they're both modeled after like road things. Yeah, and money. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, they get their baby passengers driver, money. cash cab crossover episode. Yeah, just replace baby with cash cab guy. That would be a sick cash cab ride. This one's going downhill fast. Yeah, this is a dis- and I have so many good notes for this, guys. Uh, like I you guys too. are wasting. I, d- I don't know how to get into this conversation. <sighs> Talk about. Talk about what? Talk about. So what? this is like Fast and Furious, but with music. And also, he's a car driver. Okay, he drives cars. He drives little getaway cars. I didn't pick up on that. He drives getaway cars. Isn't it kind of punny that his name is Miles? <laughs> Only revealed at the end, yeah? So maybe that yeah. was on purpose. Miles, because he be driving. <laughs> <laughs> when we were going into deciding this movie, I was excited for this one because you, going into this movie, thought, no, I don't like that movie very much. Yeah. I was excited because we haven't really had one where we had opposite reviews towards it. Mm-hmm. But then... You said to me when we were done. And it was okay. Oh, oh shut, shut up. up. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I said to you, watching it the second time, it really kind of grew on me compared to the first time I watched it. Like, I watched it before going to film school, before I even thought about going to film school. And I watched it after binging pretty much all of Edgar Wright's other movies mm. at the time, which are, like, undoubtedly just phenomenal movies. Yeah. And I went into Baby Driver expecting like this amazing kind of like breaking the world story. Mm, And it wasn't. It was more of like a grounded, more like a true to realism kind of movie, whereas others were just like insanely out of this world. And when I watched it the first time, I hated it. Like you, it had the Edgar Wright flair to it, which is undeniable. You can never disregard the editing and the the stylistic choices. But I, I felt like the story was super thin. Uh, originally because it just kind of felt like a bland love story mixed in with like crime and stuff but watching it again I won't say I still fully agree with that like I still agree with the point that it's not in my opinion as out of the world out of world experience as all his other movies were for me but I definitely appreciate it a lot more than I did before because I just caught how perfect everything in the movie was Mm. made out to be and that he he didn't flop it he, he succeeded with it but I don't love the fact that it was just kind of like a heart sappy little mm. love story at the very end of it. But I really can't say anything bad about it. It's impossible. Mm. It's too perfect. One thing too, even to the point of when we were watching it, we both had heard different things. We brought up the point of that first opening scene through Atlanta is you heard that it wasn't actually accurate to the actual, what's the word for it? Well, I, I can't remember where I read it. It was like on Reddit or something. But the the route they take in Atlanta for the first car chase sequence was not accurate to proper geography of Atlanta. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's true. I looked it up yeah. because I had heard the opposite of that it was actually true. Right. According to a video done by Vox, it is. Interesting. It is accurate. And like, I mean, there's a few parts where they shorten it a little right. bit. There's a bit of jumps. But it's still, you get there to there. Okay. I guess that's kind of the dangers of certain things on the internet, right? you know, bad information. One thing I am kind of curious about, 
um, when we were talking about how you saw this movie before going to film school and now you're watching it after going through film school mm-hmm. and it changed your perspective. That made me wonder, which I wanted to ask Asha as a someone who hasn't gone through film school and you as someone who has, are Edgar Wright movies kind of more film people films compared to like general audience people? Like, does it cater more to film people or is it just like a, you catch more knowing film language and i think he's mainstream as hell so probably not catered towards film people the way that guy in that video we just watched dissected it was so english major of him but i think honestly in that sense it's like more general audience because it's like meaning making right there's a lot of meaning in his films that aren't like only revealed by knowing what a dolly track is like (laughs) it's like oh cool the lyrics are on the wall or like oh his sunglasses are like getting clearer and clearer like that's like just a general observation but like i feel like film students would totally appreciate the visuals more Mm. like i didn't look twice when the camera went through the car i was like okay or i didn't think about oh my gosh that's dangerous when like the cars were like drifting what looked like two inches away from the camera i was like wow this is cgi but apparently it was all practical yeah i think um where that line kind of gets drawn is the spectacle and the experience Mm -hmm. you know like a lot of people watching his films are just completely entranced by the spectacle of everything and the film people on the other side of that line are just kind of entranced by the experience uh, that it gives them and he walks that line perfectly where he's able to give perfect spectacle to the people who don't necessarily understand the experience that goes into making the films. Right. Whereas people in the film world have such an appreciation for him as a filmmaker because he's able to make very difficult things look completely seamless. Hmm. You know, like as Asha was saying, the car is drifting within two inches of the lens of the camera. You know, how many film sets do you think would break lenses doing that practically and then would opt to do it CG Mm. where, you know, the effect would be very similar, but Edgar Wright does it practically and it's seamlessly able to pull it off. And then we see that as filmmakers be like, yeah, that's super practical or like the camera coming through the van. You know, it's super easy to just do that with a camera. And when you're watching it, you're like, oh, you don't notice that immediately, but you feel the connection to it and how cool that movement is because it's seamless. Mm -hmm. Whereas you and I will see that and be like, oh, that's a Trinity head coming out of the van's open door as he jumps through and it's all one seam take. It just walks the line, I think. And he's the only filmmaker I've seen that walks that line perfectly to cater to both film people and to just general audiences. So I think that's that's kind of where it sits. I find the appreciation because I see the seamlessness and I know what has to go into it to make it seamless. Yeah. Whereas general audience will just enjoy the experience. One thing too I like that we were talking about was kind of the, oh, well, what kind of coverage does Edgar Wright get? Mm-hmm. Which to people who don't understand what coverage is, is basically when you're on set shooting stuff, you can shoot a scene from like three different angles and get the whole scene or in this case, it's like, there's a shot looking this way, and then it looks this way, and then you get a shot from over here, and then over here, and then over here. Especially in such a rapidly moving movie, when you're shooting the entire scene from 30 different angles, that's going to take a long time. So we were kind of talking about, what does that look like going into prep for a movie? Like, if you're going to do it that way, like you have to really plan out what exactly you're going to be shooting to go into okay, we're going to shoot this scene from 60 different shots 
over the course of the next minute. I mean, that's like a shot a second, but you understand what I'm saying? Like the amount of detail that would go into shooting something like that is quite intense. Yeah, like if you think about shooting a scene by its coverage, you know, you, you go into a scene thinking about, okay, I need this shot of this actress for the whole scene. I need this shot of this actor for the whole scene. For each character, you need their angle. So you'd kind of play their their part of the scene out, you know. And then all your inserts, then your wides and establishers. So you're, if you're looking at a scene by shot, you're looking at maybe 15 to 16 shots per scene. Mm-hmm. But Edgar Wright goes so far beyond that, like 60 to possibly 100 shots per scene. So it makes you wonder if he breaks each scene down specifically by the shots that he wants in the edit, or if he'll break everything down in the scene by coverage to then make an edit from what he has. Right. I partially think that he just knows exactly what shot is going to play at what second in the movie, and he doesn't even bother with ex- extra coverage. It's like he's already editing in the camera rather than editing based off the coverage later. Yeah, exactly. Like He knows what he wants his film to be, and he shoots his film. He doesn't shoot everything he'll need to make a film. He shoots his film. You know, like he, he creates and crafts the movie before even like a frame of film rolls through a camera. And uh, I, Yeah. Well, because otherwise it would have taken eons to make that movie. Yeah, it would take 10 years. But a lot of time, too, with stunt work, you only get one shot. Yeah, that's true. And there's a lot of stunt work. Yeah. Oh, like the whole movie, basically. I love reading low reviews for movies to see what people don't actually like about movies. And lots of these were just stupid. But it was a lot of people saying the action, there wasn't a good action movie. But honestly, watching that again is so good. Like there's parts where I'm literally like, I mean, I get really into movies, but I was like sitting there like, oh, oh. And I've seen this movie. I, I know what happens in the movie, but I'm still like, oh my gosh, you just shot him. Yeah, the cool thing that sets it aside action-wise is the entire action scenes are all edited to music, mm. which drives what's happening in, in a like better way. Mm. Like the arms deal fight where they're, you know, the song Tequila is happening in the background. Every single gunshot, every piece of action in that entire fight is choreographed to the song and the beat of Tequila. And it gets to the point too where I think even some sound effects are altered and edited to be within the key of whatever song that they're Mm. playing in. Like when he is making the sandwich for his foster dad and he puts the plate down on the the counter, it's not a real plate hitting a counter. It's a slightly uh, altered sound to stay within the key of the song that's playing at the time. Yeah, in that, in that same scene too, when he's like shuffling through his money, it's kind of going like, I think it's with like the hi-hat or something. Yeah, It's not really like really the sound of flicking through money. It sounds more like, like the shaker, like the metal shaker that you roll on your hand. That's yeah. cool attention to detail. It's like musical sound effects rather than... And that's kind of too why I think some people looking into this as an action movie might be disappointed because it's not traditional. Hmm. It's not it's a uh, stylized action movie. Yeah, like everything can be action. Like him flicking the wipers on hmm. in his vehicle. He does that twice through the movie. And he's kind of like tapping on the steering wheel. That's an action scene because it's high action, it's high yeah. editing, and it's to the beat of the music while there's a bank robbery happening. But it's cut so perfectly together that it actually kind of hypes you up. It gets you a little excited and it's consistent through the whole movie. If you go in expecting gunfights and people beating the crap out of each other, you might be disappointed because for the majority of the time, it's a guy doing some cool things in a car on beat to music. Mm. And and if you go in visually thinking about it and you don't open your ears, you'll be disappointed. True. Why do you have a big smirk on your face, Asha? (laughs) (laughs) 
Because it just reminded me, like, seriously, if you were deaf, you would not enjoy this movie, genuinely. We interrupt our regularly scheduled program for a special announcement. Hello, listeners. It's Jackson's mom. I'm here to tell you about our Patreon. If you subscribe to our Patreon starting at $3 a month, you can unlock early access to videos and podcast episodes, be a part of live episodes, receive free monthly gifts, and hear full versions of our podcast with bits like this. As I was trying to figure out what a deer looks like. I want, I'm really curious to know the tangent in your brain that took you to looking up deer to see what a deer looks like. Because I believed it looked like a mouse, so I had to double check. What looked like a mouse? A deer. What brought you to that? What brain... Because I was wondering if I would be scared of deers if they were the size of mice. <laughs> but anyways, that's off topic. A baby driver. <laughs> Jackson, I feel like you need to go to bed. You're just giggling. Oh, I am. So subscribe to our Patreon today. The link is in the show notes. And now, back to the show. I'm, I'm honestly... St- I'm in a really bad mood because I have nothing bad to say. Mm. Like, I'm frustrated that I couldn't find one bad thing to say about this, aside from, like, a personal opinion. Right. And, like, maybe a little corniness with the love story. Right. And I went into watching this thinking I'd be like, yeah, I hated this movie. I'm going to have such good arguments here. And I'm like... Do you know some of the things that you were thinking going into it? Yeah, I remember I wanted to make the argument that Edgar Wright got famous off of his whole... He's, he's great at making action and he's great at editing. That was Edgar Wright's whole thing going into Baby Driver, which is like one of his biggest budget movies at the time. But I went into this movie, um, having watched it already, thinking that he was just playing into his shtick. Like he made this movie because he was given a lot of money to be Edgar Wright and make high edited movie and a super kind of stylistic thing, which he did, but he made it so well. And I also went into this thinking I'd have like a, a base of an argument with comparing it to how I feel like Wes Anderson kind of leaned into mm, his shtick. Yeah. You know, like a Wes Anderson movie 10 years ago and then the French Dispatch that he just came out with, I've already yeah. mentioned before, is like so Wes Anderson that it kind of hurts and sucks to watch because of it. But after rewatching it, I was just like, no, man, like this is perfectly Edgar Wright and mm-hmm. perfectly just good cinema. Even just, he's really good at action in a not action scenario too. Mm-hmm. Think of like lots of the sequences in Shaun of the Dead. Where it's like Simon Pegg doing mundane stuff, but it's like, bah, 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 bah. same as Scott Pilgrim, you know, he's getting ready and then he ties his shoe. Bah, bah, bah. He's so good at just like, it's all just crash rooms and quick pace and loud sound effects. And he just, he's got it down. I kind of get the feeling that Edgar Wright had such a forceful hand in the aspect of like high action comedies. Hmm. that not a lot of people realize because i'm kind of sitting and thinking about it how many movies use quick paced montages or crash zooms and and insane camera moves and action sequences before edgar wright kind of got his hands on it like i feel like that whole stylistic thing is just all thanks to him now now i'm curious too thinking about how the fact he was involved with ant-man before he left the project i'm curious what a more stylized ant-man would have been like Probably one of the best Marvel movies. I don't like the guy who plays Ant-Man. You don't like Paul Rudd? No. Why not? Let me guess. You're going to say, well, I've liked that guy that played Doc in Baby Driver. Who played Doc in Baby Driver? 
Kevin Spacey. I love Kevin Spacey. <laughs> <laughs> I only said that to be to be oppositional. Why do why do I dislike Paul Rudd? Uh... The worst thing Paul Rudd has ever done is be in Ant Man Quantumania. Oof. You haven't even seen it yet. Yeah, see, that's how good Paul Rudd is. <laughs> Anyways, back to back to Adam Driver. No, Baby Driver. <laughs> Star Wars. Imagine uh... this movie with Adam Driver. I'd take it a whole other level. That would be really cool, I think. I like Adam Driver. He's cool. He has one a funny thing, face. One thing Tom did say while we were watching it, though, was you didn't, you weren't too hot on uh, Anzel Edgort, or oh, however you say his name. Yeah, this is going to be really petty. Another reason I didn't like Baby Driver when it came out was because Ansel Elgort was in The Fault in Our Stars, and I hated that movie. He's also in like the Divergent series. Yeah. Oh, so like that I makes him that. extra unlikable too. <laughs> so I, yeah, like I watched I watched Baby Driver when I was in a very like annoyed state of mind with movies hmm. and I didn't give this movie the proper justice. I'm kind of glad I rewatched it here. There you go. I I personally like the cast of this movie. I think John Hamm was my favorite part of this movie. Oh, he was so good. John Hamm was like one of the bad guys that actually kind of warmed up to Baby a little bit. You kind of like him. Like he he's jamming out with with Baby Driver, uh, mm. listening to music. He's he's backing him up. He's like yeah, take, in the beginning, yeah. He's going to bat with him, and he's giving him some good uh, good words of encouragement every now and then. And then he turns out to be the bad guy, mm. and it's like that. Uh, that was a pretty unpredictable uh, switch. Even Doc wasn't really the bad guy. Like in the Who end, is Doc? Doc is Kevin Spacey's character, oh. the main leader of the whole yeah. thing. Okay. I mean, if you think about it, he is the whole reason that he's in this mess. But he helps him get out at the end. He never really gets out. But yeah, but he also died. Like Doc also dies. So what else? Yeah, he, he sacrificed himself for the potential of his freedom. Hmm. But if you think about it, the whole reason he needed that backup from him is because he got him there in the first room. But I guess you could go back and say the whole reason he's in that situation with Doc is because he stole from him already. Yeah. So he's been in it ever since he was a kid, and it's just kind of a tragic story. Yeah. Why do you guys think Buddy is called Buddy? Oh, well, because he's a good buddy. But then doesn't he go crazy? Isn't that him? That's Buddy. That's a pretty good play on it in words. Is it? Isn't there some like good play in words? Of Buddy, or like, oh, your buddy's here or something. Yeah. Yeah. When he goes back to the diner and he's holding a gun up to, I don't know her name. I was going to say the waitress. Deborah. Deborah. Deborah, you look like a zebra. Sorry. Then she says, your buddy's here. And I, that's one of my favorite lines. Is it? I mean, if you think this about This movie it- is so funny. There's so many good jokes. One of my favorite forms of humor is using humor in a stressful situation. It's just like one quick joke to just relieve the tension. Best joke of the entire movie is right after, right after Baby shoots Buddy, and they leave. They run out the back, and the other waitress is out screaming to the cops, like, "Oh, he just shot a guy! He just shot a guy!" He's like, "Who?" She points back, and then it's the cop running out, and they've disappeared, and the cops running out. That makes me laugh very hard every single time I watch it. I love jokes like that in movies. I don't know what other movie we talked about on the podcast where I brought that up. Probably Us. We did talk about it in Us because we talked about like the juxtaposition of horror and comedy and how they go together. Especially with Jordan Peele. Yeah, exactly. A good place joke can be used, obviously, across genres to, to relieve a little bit of tension. Especially after that super suspenseful scene in the diner. Yeah. That's a perfect time to to kind of release the tension and then move us into another scene, right? Because mm. it kind of, kind of lets us break 
have a breather from that super high suspenseful scene and then move into something else that moves the story forward without feeling out of place. Yeah. I think one of my favorite parts when it comes to the writing and the visual, how visual this film is. In school, I didn't have to do a lot of essays, but I did two essays where I talked about Edgar Wright and his motifs and the way he does visual storytelling. Like the production design of this film is so good when it comes to colors and wardrobe and costume and how that plays into character arcs. So I'm not going to get into every single little one, but my favorites is his sunglasses. But he has a whole bunch of different sunglasses that he can just, you know, he wears. But he uses them to kind of see no evil and as well use the music to hear no evil. And then he doesn't talk. He doesn't speak any evil. The way he disassociates himself from the crime, visually auditorial and by not talking, is so incredibly smart. And it's never like mentioned in the, it's just visual for you to pick up on. And using it in the movie, like you said, they get more clear as it goes on as well. There's parts in the movie where they don't have him wear his sunglasses, which is leading up to the final heist. That whole time he's in there is the only time we see him other than when it gets knocked off his face by Griff, which then he quite hilariously just takes out two other pairs of sunglasses and continues on. That whole scene I was going, oh, wait, he's not wearing his glasses here. One, because... It's kind of where he is, you know, he's bugged. He's recording what they're saying. But it's also that's where they all start opening up to one each other. Like that's where you see his conversation with Buddy, where they're listening to music and bonding over it. That's where in the car, you know, they're all kind of sharing their names and telling you find out more about the characters and their past comes in, you know, when they're talking about Wall Street and the history and you find out all about Bat's history and all that stuff. That's all happening without his sunglasses, as well as that's where his personal life with Deborah mixes in with the crime life. Using that with the visual of the sunglasses, it's not really in your face. And then again, in the end, when he breaks his one glasses, and that's where ultimately he is in danger. He's part of the crime. And then he kind of just ends up abandoning the sunglasses by that point. I love that. And I totally agree with that. But then there's another completely other reason as to why he's not wearing sunglasses. It's nighttime. That's true. I'm sitting here listening to you say this and I'm like, yeah, I totally agree. And you're, I would argue you're completely correct. But then the way Edgar Wright in my thoughts kind of like plays that out in a way where like a total skeptic would be like, no, that makes no sense whatsoever because why would he not be wearing sunglasses when he is the whole movie? Just make it nighttime. Mm. Like everything that happens thematically with all these changes in people work with the story yeah because he is wearing sunglasses when his lens gets knocked out yeah and that's kind of the beginning of that whole sequence of of him starting to see the crime the ipod gets shot by buddy and then yeah, all of a sudden all that yeah all here that, no evil comes into play that's what i was, was going to say and then he starts talking a lot you know he's starting to defend himself a lot more and actually like kind of you know speaking up for himself all that aside nighttime no sunglasses at night makes sense it works on both levels because someone who doesn't have any thought to the thematic expression of visuals and, and the real reasons behind why things in movies happen, at the very least, they can go, oh, he's not wearing his sunglasses and it's nighttime. That works. So And two, like, he, he just, yeah, he just covers up lots of his plot holes, especially the one that no one would probably ever question is, oh, where'd they get that photo of baby on the news? You know, you see the flash. Yeah. Even though it's so small and it's probably... 
just added in the edit where they're like someone some producer probably went oh well where did they get that photo and they're like okay here <laughs> and just add the flash and post yeah but it's it's cool the attention to detail where even he covers up all the potholes potholes yeah it's ironic because it's a it was on purpose because it's a driving <laughs> movie edgar wright is the king of attention to detail everything in his movies um is almost self-contained reference to every other piece of the film hmm. Like the car falling off the top rope of the parking garage was referenced earlier in the movie with baby playing with the car that kind mm. of falls off. Yeah, that's going, it falls off the edge of the table. And I, I kind of want to know, remember when his first job with Bats on the crew and he's playing the piano while, while Doc is talking the whole time and the Bats kind of accuses him. He's like, he wasn't listening to a thing you said. And then he repeats it back almost word for word. Later on in the movie, Doc gives his spiel with the next crew with Bats and then Darling and Buddy. And he's not listening. Mm-hmm. And then Doc is kind of like, you got that? And he goes, yep, I got it. I wonder, maybe he didn't actually get it because he actually mm. wasn't. He's no longer in this. Like He's got something yeah, else to He was to contemplating a lot of stuff. There's a couple looks towards him where it's like Doc almost kind of like clocked that he wasn't actually listening to him. And like, mm-hmm. there's a lot of behind the scenes looks, a lot of behind the scenes, like kind of breaths of things are changing and people are taking note of that. And that might lead to the decision-making of people moving forward. Hmm. Like bats would have clocked that he doesn't like him. So then he's always thinking like the next thing doc clocked that. And then probably was aware that things were going to go wrong. That's really interesting. Like, you know what, you know what I'm talking about though. Yeah. Did you catch that too? Like the little, but I didn't think about it like that. Like he probably wasn't listening. Like he was, he had his head down against the table. He was, you know, he's contemplating going on this road trip with Deborah and all that kind of stuff. Like it's, yeah, that's a really good point. And uh, there's another thing that makes me wonder Doc's intentions and his goals for him. He does the last job. He's straight with Doc. Him and Doc are good, but he's not done yet. So the next job Doc hasn't come out on, he makes him scout it. He's mm. never done that before. Yeah. He tells him, you got to keep track of this, 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 and this. Which he gets one of the things wrong Wrong. there was yeah yeah and i'm just like is doc setting him up for failure here is doc in a way hoping that he's gonna fail and then get out of this Mm. you know or is doc just putting extra faith into him now like he has to have known his job is to know everything literally yeah so he has to have known putting baby in that situation would have kind of screwed the pooch on something he got him connected to like the person that was running at the till till. and he knows that he knows he has that kind of thing you know because there's been a couple of instances that babies what's the word the bat says the minute you catch feelings kind of line that he gives him baby's always caught feelings for stuff and doc knows that so why would he it just makes you wonder were those mistakes or did those have motivations in the story did he set him up yeah that's really interesting i feel like he may have been setting him up because then he sent the kid in with him. Yeah. So if he had full faith in him, why would he have sent this kid who obviously knows what he's doing? The kid is like a whiz, apparently. And he knows that he's feeding him lines from movies. That's one other thing I wanted to bring up was how cool that is. How throughout the movie, it's a constant that baby just repeats lines. And there's a little clip which a second time this movie is like Shaun of the Dead. You know, they have that scene where you have clicking through the TV. It's like in Shaun of the Dead, it tells you what's happening without having just a news person go, people are turning into zombies. It's like showing you all the different channels telling you that. He repeats every single one of those clips that comes, like all the different movies and stuff that come on. He repeats that as well as when they're talking in the meeting and he's convincing them to actually go through with this final heist. 
the entire movie, he continuously repeats things back. He's like a record player repeating things back. I really like that as well. Another one that I clocked this time watching, it was the long opening Harlem shuffle scene. It's a one take Steadicam shot, much like Shaun in Shaun of the Dead. And I, it took me a second to think about that. I was like, that's really cool. And something that came up is what you call, we, you know, you talked about motifs, but there's a thing for music as well. It's a German elite motif, which is a sound cue motif. Mm-hmm. And there's two that I clocked in terms of music. Which is lots of sound effect ones too. Oh, yeah. But, you know, we'd be here for three hours just talking about sound effects. There's two music-specific motifs that I caught. And that was one you were talking about. There's the opening song, and then the second time he's doing his coffee run. It's the same song, but it's a different cover. Mm -hmm. You know, meant to make you feel something different. Mm -hmm. And they use that a lot with compositional music in movies. Like, Star Wars has Imperial March. Yeah. Like, anytime something bad or the bad guy's coming around like people having themes yeah exactly and that's what it is it's a musical theme for a character or a feeling that it wants you to feel but it does it with cover music which i also thought was interesting the other one is the song easy yeah where which his mom covers in the end yeah the first time we hear that song he's literally taking off the gloves you know hanging the gloves up on the shelf or in this case wiping the blood from his hands of crime yeah because the palms of those driver's gloves were red yeah as he's coming out of his life like he's finally straight he thinks he's good he's free and we're listening to easy and that's the song he associates with being free Hmm. which kind of goes hand in hand with the fact that it's the song his mom sings right that deborah kind of puts on when she feels free as well so it's a song that's associated with freedom and then we also get a little hint into the like synchronicity that him and Deborah feel together. Yeah. So it's, they both listen to this song when they're feeling free and they feel happy and they feel like there's light in their lives. I thought that was a really interesting touch and like a really super deep use of just songs and cover music. It's cool as well thinking about how Baby reuses lines and words and repeats things to people. Lots of the songs used are famously sampled. Mm-hmm. I was wondering why the song... Uh, Harlem Shake was repeating in my head over and over again. And I think it's because I subconsciously heard someone say Harlem Shuffle. <laughs> and then my brain just jumped to that. But in my brain over and over has been do the Harlem Shake. No, do the Harlem <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I have lots of other notes, but like there's so such simple things. Say it. List them off. Rapid fire. The way Edgar Wright films lots of his stuff is so interesting. Like his use of all the things that he's so popular for, like the match cuts and the crash shoes and all that stuff. But I just love the way that he starts scenes with close-ups. He does it throughout all his movies. But like, let's say the scene where he comes in with the coffees, you know, you could have a wide shot that establishes it all where you see him, you know, he walks in, he places down all the coffee. That like takes like a minute for him to walk around. Instead, this way, we have the music that also like leads it. You just see him walk in, you see place down, place down, place down, place down. Then you're in the scene. Like that takes like five seconds compared to like a minute of him, you know, walking from this, the number five pillar all the way over to the table, place each one down and then sit down at his little table that he has. I love that you brought that up because you can do it the other way. And then you'd have Fast and Furious. It's his editing and his stylistic editing choices that make his movies different. And that all feeds into the tone and feel of it. And it's like, do you need to have 
baby walking slowly around the table when he's, you know, thematically a fast and super quick kind of guy. So it almost feeds into the story better to do it super quick Mm -hmm. and super efficient and almost kind of like boom, 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 and then meet. And also, this is already a two-hour movie. If that you take any more time in any other of these scenes, like this would easily be a three-hour movie. Oh, yeah. And then you'd have a completely different directed movie. It would be actually kind of more similar to Last Night in Soho. Yeah. You know, because that's a movie, yes, still had your right, but it's a lot slower in pace. Yeah. And it wouldn't be his typical, like, fast motion, super quickly paced things that he's famous for. I'm curious to see a scene count of this mm. movie versus, like, another movie of the same kind of genre. What would this be? Like, maybe 120 scenes to maybe 70 to 80 scenes in, like, another Fast and Furious movie or something like that? Mm. I, I wonder. That's really interesting. Man, what a movie. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I like, though, that the consistency of him having a heart, though, is there, Mm. you know, through the whole thing. He's always been compassionate to people. Like, when he has his blinders to crime off, he is more compassionate to the people around him, which actually kind of gets him caught a few times. Yeah. You know, when he's got his glasses on, his headphones in, he's, like, fine running people off the road. Mm. When he doesn't have his music in, when when he doesn't have his sunglasses on, he'll give the lady's purse back to her. Like, Mm. yeah, and I like that he has that flaw, and that eventually kind of gets him messed up. Which I also really like how how he has tinnitus, but the amount of times you actually do hear ringing and it's worked into the sound effects and the soundscape and as well the music, the amount of times he's not listening to music and you hear the ringing from his ears is a lot more throughout the movie than I thought. And I thought that was really sick. I remember that being one of the selling points of the movie was that he was listening to music because he has tinnitus. Hmm. Well, it's in the opening the opening credits before we even cut to any yeah. film it's just which i again i was listening to it and i caught the ringing I, but i didn't even put two and two together that you know that's because that's because it's so well done right we can go on for hours and hours but let's not let's not <laughs> asha what did you think of this movie when i first watched the movie it was like I was on the edge of my seat and like when he was driving the car, like I was probably moving with the car. Like I was so very much into it. Wasn't expecting to enjoy it that much. Mm. Did enjoy it that much. Felt it was very fun and kept my attention the entire time because there were so many little hidden things to look for. So I wanted to keep searching. It was kind of like, what's it called? You know, those books your grandpa would give you for Christmas? No, no. It's like, find this little uh, penny. Oh, like the I Spy books? Yes. It was like an I Spy book. Was this your first Edgar Wright movie? No, I think my first was Scott Pilgrim. I like this one more than I liked Scott Pilgrim. But my favorite Edgar Wright movie is The World's End. Sounds like you're reading a script. I am. <laughs> I th- I still think my favorite's Hot Fuzz. Like, you I like, did not. Just I haven't say that. seen Hot Fuzz. You did not just say that. What? You for years kept going on about Scott Pilgrim being the best movie ever made. I even bought him an eighty dollar set of wait, that's Scott I'm not Pilgrim, saying right? I of don't Scott love Pilgrim Scott Pilgrim. No, from I, Indi- I just find it hard to believe that you think Hot Fuzz is better than Scott Pilgrim after you've been such a fan of Scott Pilgrim since I've known. Yeah, probably since you're. But birth. think about how much more that. <laughs> but I still, as much as I love Scott Pilgrim, I love Hot Fuzz just a little bit more. There's a lot more Edgar Wright in the all the other movies than there is in that one, just because it is based off of, you know, especially very very much so based like. 
conversations in that movie are line for line out of the comics. But I don't know, Hot Fuzz is just it's my favorite. Yeah. My first Edgar Wright movie was Shaun of the Dead. And then I watched Scott Pilgrim after. And then I went back and watched the rest of the Cornetto trilogy. And then I watched Baby Driver. So like I I was well versed on like all mm. Edgar Wright and like had very strong opinions about how much I liked his movies and stuff. And then Baby Driver, I was just so bitter towards for some reason. <laughs> That's fine. Because it wasn't it wasn't Nick Frost and Simon Pegg and it wasn't Michael Sarah in Scott Pilgrim. It was like this dude I didn't well, Michael like. Michael Sarah was I love Michael Sarah. <laughs> these were the things I knew these guys from were like these really yeah, awesome movies. And then the guy from Fault in Our Stars and Divergent was in an <laughs> Edgar Wright movie. And yeah. I was like, no. He dropped it. Not yeah. happening. And then I didn't know I didn't know John Hamm. I didn't know John Bernthal. Mm. I didn't know like I the only guy I knew in this movie was Kevin Spacey mm. and Ansel Elgort, who was in like a couple of movies I really didn't like. So I'm like, this movie's gonna be garbage. But now watching it again, I really can't say anything bad about it. It's impossible. Mm. It's too perfect. Anyways, let's let's uh let's go watch the movie now. Bye. What? Good riddance. It's time for I just thought that was a funny that was a funny. I'm tired. I tired him, Jackson. Okay, I'm gonna end it now. You still haven't ended it? Because you kept going out. That's a really good way to say goodbye. A good baby pun. I hope you aren't waiting for me to say something. I am. It's not gonna happen. No, he's got no creativity in him. Yeah, he's just not creative. What does baby say when he's about to leave? What? Baby. No. (laughs) That actually really did suck. (laughs) That was pretty garbage. Anyways, thanks for listening. We'll be back eventually. Sorry for the long hiatus there a couple weeks, you know. Anyways, I'm stopping this recording. (gasps) You're still recording. Oh, cranky. Hey there, I'm Jackson's mom, and this has been Mixed Reviews with Tom McMahon, Jackson Brotherton, and our in-host genius, Asha Joseph. This episode was mixed, mastered, and edited by The Old Man Dave. Be sure to follow our podcast on your favorite podcast app and join our Patreon for extended, ad-free, and bonus episodes. The link is in the show notes. This has been a Vanish Entertainment production. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.